phone call just a few minutes ago from Sister Maria Manji. Uh, her husband, Jose, had a CAT scan today. His cancer has returned, and it came very aggressive. So we ask you to remember Jose uh, in prayer. Also, uh, Joe Shelton had a stroke yesterday. He is in VA hospital uh, in Nashville. His uh, daughter, Kaylee, has asked for prayer, not just for him, but for her. She has been on a 90-day treadmill of hospitals and just needs prayer. Our, our brother Gary Alford had a stent this afternoon, was very successful. The last time I heard, he is in a regular room or kind of room. Regulated blood pressure, may get to go home tomorrow. Sister Janie Maggart is in the hospital that I know of. She was going home today. She texted me. I love it that, that people over 50 text. I just think that's awesome. Yeah. Sister Janie's over 50. She's over 80. So don't tell me you can't text. I had people tell me for years, I can't do that uh, Zoom call stuff. But when they had grandbabies that live in another state, it's amazing how quickly they learn the power of Zoom. And so Sister Janie texted me while in the hospital to say, please pray for my son, Paul. Uh, Paul is, I believe, her middle child. And uh, he has had COVID very bad, and he is going uh, for an infusion of antibodies. He's doing so poorly, they want to treat him with antibodies. So please lift up uh, Paul Maggart in prayer. Our own sister Stacy Bishop, and I've got to give her a call out on the live stream. She's dancing in her living room right now just because I called her name. Uh, she's asked for prayer. Don't forget Sister Sharon Marsh, uh, who is still recovering uh, from bypass surgery. Well, that's a list, isn't it? Anybody tired? Don't be tired. If we don't care about our brothers and sisters, nobody else is going to. So I'm going to ask you a little out of the norm on the Wednesday. Won't you stand for a minute? And I'm going to ask us to agree together in prayer. Now, shake off the midweek doldrums. Okay? So take it, just shake that off. The same God on Sunday is the same God on Wednesday. The same needs on Sunday can be the same needs on Wednesday. And why don't you just stretch out your hand and say, Jesus, tonight, Lord, we just call on your name. Lord, we know what it is to be, God, in a health crisis. We know what it is to be weary. God, we know what it is, God, to think nobody knows and nobody cares. But right now, by the power of the name of Jesus, step into every circumstance and situation. God, minister grace and mercy. God, bring healing and deliverance, power and joy. God, let financial needs not be a worry, but God, let them just cleave unto you and know that you're able. It doesn't matter where we've been. It's who you are that matters and you're able. God, we're just professing your healing touch tonight. May your blood cover them and may your name give them authority over circumstances. God, let faith be loosed on them. Let them begin to see your goodness. Let them rejoice and lift holy hands. And God, let them know that you're a good God. Who God who knows how to meet our needs, Lord. Let us tonight be worshipers, not just moving our lips, but God, let our hearts be stirred. Let our minds be challenged. And tonight we're going to give you glory and praise and honor. And everybody say in Jesus' name. Why don't you give your neighbor a fist bump? Reach, find, find somebody. Get them. Pound that fist. Somebody help Sister Caban. She can't find nobody. Amen. And after you've been friendly, you can be seated tonight. 
Hallelujah. If you have your Bibles, I'm not going to ask you to stand because it's somewhat of a lengthy text. But why don't you turn with us to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Chapter 6. Begin reading in verse 1. I'm going to read the first few verses and then we're going to pray. Give you a title. The Bible says, now these are the commandments, the statutes, and the judgments which the Lord your God commanded to teach you. Who in here can be taught? You, you can't help somebody that can't be taught, won't be taught. But he said, I've given these to you to teach you that you might do them in the land whither thou go to possess it. That thou mightest fear the Lord thy God to keep all his statutes and his commandments which I command you, thou. And thy sons and thy son's sons and all the days of thy life and that what? Thy days may be prolonged. Catch this. Hear therefore, O Israel, and observe to do it, that it may be well with thee, and that ye may increase mightily as the Lord God of thy fathers hath promised thee in the land that floweth with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy might. And these words which I commanded thee this day shall be in thy heart. Please never say in thy heart. I'm going to go somewhere with that in just a minute. And thou shalt teach them casually unto thy children. Teach them semi-annually to your children. Take them to your neighbor's house that they should teach your children. It says, thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children and shalt talk to them when thou sittest in thy house and when thou walkest by the way and when thou liest down and when thou risest up and thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thy hand, they shall be as frontless between thine eyes, and thou shalt write them upon the post of thy house and on thy gate. I want to preach a little bit tonight uh, about foundational families. Say that with me. Foundational families. Now, before we pray, I'm going to read you another verse. You'll trust me here, I'll read Psalms chapter 11, verse 3. If the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? Mm. If the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? I'm going to pray for me for just a minute. Is that okay? Because I've got just a heavy, heavy heart, a lot of things to communicate, uh, positive, not negative. But I don't want to mess up. 
Sometimes I get excited in the flesh and I skip over what the Spirit is doing. So can I pray for me, Jesus, right now? I'm just a man, but your word is real and active and powerful. God, I am unable, but with your Spirit, I am well able to communicate your will for this local assembly. To the end, we would be established and we would have a firm foundation that not if, but when the storms of life come, that we can stand righteous before you we pray in Jesus name and everybody say help pastor oh you wasn't asleep good the Bible tells us here if the foundation be destroyed what can the righteous do I'm going to bring that home for just a little bit the word foundations there if you look it up from the Hebrew I took some basic Greek and Hebrew in Bible college but I am not any sort of authority. I have resources though and I go back and look at the Greek or the Hebrew word and what its definition means. So in English the word we got there is foundations and I think that's applicable because when we went to school we got the three R's reading, writing, and arithmetic. Those are fundamental foundational things. If you can't add and subtract you will never do multiplication and division. If you can't get the foundation in phonics which are the rules that govern reading or you don't know the voc- you don't know your ABCs or you don't know basic grammatical rule, you'll struggle reading and writing. And if you can't read and write and you can't add and subtract, you're gonna struggle. You're never gonna invent a satellite. You're never gonna be a rocket scientist. You're never gonna, and you can fill in the blank. If you don't have fundamentals or foundational things in your life, who agrees with that? I want you to know tonight that our world is at war. And I'm not talking about Afghanistan. There is an all-out assault on fundamentals. There is an attack on absolutes. If I say something is absolute, there's no wiggle room or way around it that you must be born again. We are considered inconsiderate and closed-minded. The world will tell you you must be open to other truths. I still believe two plus two is four. Can I say there's sometimes that I want it to be five? Sometimes I want it to be three. Who, who's ever tried to put your thumb on a scale? Look at, look, when you get home, look at Proverbs chapter 11, talking about he who would put his thumb on the scale to make the measure come out to what he wants to. In this world, the world is trying to put its thumb on the scale to try to make unrighteousness measure as righteousness and try to make righteousness look like it's unrighteous or unjust. The world is not tolerant towards the church, God, or his word. There are not many ways to God. There are not many equal versions of truth. There are not anyone equal to our God. And when the world tells us you must be tolerant, they're really saying you must be open to everything but what God says. Are y'all with me? Okay, just make sure we're connecting here. Now, God gave the children of Israel some 
absolutes. Thou shalt not kill. Absolute. Thou shalt not steal. Absolute. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Absolute. Thou shalt have no other gods before me or no likeness of anything in the heaven above or the earth beneath. Nothing. He was said absolutely nothing else. But I'm looking around today, taking inventory, and we have a lot of our children that don't know the simple list of Ten Commandments. Now let me stop and insert an infomercial here. Um, in the Old Testament where we're reading here, you also find in Exodus chapter 20, there were Ten Commandments, statutes, things to live by. Jesus summed up the Ten and got them into two in the New Testament. And some say these are irrelevant. They're not irrelevant. Jesus summarized. He says, I can sum up all the Ten Commandments in these two. Love God and love your neighbor as yourself. If you love God, you're not going to have a graven image. You're not going to have another God. If you love your neighbor, you're not going to covet what he has. You're not going to commit adultery with his wife. You're not going to Here's the caveat, it's the implied that we missed. The Old Testament, God knew where they were at. They did not have the Spirit, but Jesus spoke, there's coming a day that I'm going to fulfill the law. Not that you don't have to obey it, but there's coming a Spirit from on high that will give you the power to be able to live up to the law. He was able to summarize because he knew the Comforter was coming to lead them and guide them and empower them into truth. Today, we are not exempt from the scriptures that we call the Old Testament. They are for our admonition. They are still real and true and beneficial. But by the blood of Jesus Christ and the Spirit of Christ in us, we are now able to live up to the law. Does that make sense? Here's what I want you to get. Many of our kids don't know these because a lot of our parents don't know these basic commandments. Well, Pastor, why is that? I'm going to talk about that for a second. Number one, did you know that the biblical account found in Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy chapter 5, we call them the Ten Commandments, have been removed from our schools? Who knew that? You will get in trouble. Sidebar here. Did you know that all of jurisprudence, everything we call the law, the criminal justice system, courts, judges, what is the symbol before the court? The lady justice, she's blind, and there's a balance, and the facts on this side, and the facts on this side, and see what measures out, and that determines innocent or guilt. That is all founded upon biblical scriptures. But you can't hang the Ten Commandments in a courtroom. Here's the irony. The father of the Bill of Rights and the Constitution of the United States, James Madison, said this. We have hinged our newfound government not on government, but on our own individual ability to govern ourselves using the Ten Commandments. That's not me making it up. That's what the quote from the man who was the father of the 
basic line of systems that we operate under. said it's all predicated upon the Ten Commandments. But our kids in school that our government is set upon, they can't learn about it. The very thing our government runs on is now outlawed for our kids. Now, who's ever looked around today? Anybody like me over 50? And you watch kids running around, you're thinking, my Lord, like a bunch of wild animals. Anybody here getting grumpy? Besides me, I'm the only grumpy person. My Lord. Wish they would sit down and be quiet. Oh, I'm becoming my dad. I'm going somewhere. Some of us say kids act like animals. But why would we not expect so many adolescents to act like animals? Their foundation, their base, their moral compass has been removed. Who are you to tell me? For there is no absolute. They are told and they're inundated on social media in school, and too often even at home, that if it feels good, do it. When a united Pentecostal pastor tells a friend of mine that his seven-year-old heard about Billy having two daddies, and the pastor said, we need to pray for your classmate Billy, why, if they, it's two guys, but if they love each other, isn't it okay? Getting quiet. Why are we surprised when the foundation, the base, the things that should be our moral compass has been removed? We've got a generation. When USA Today writes an article and the question that the secular media asks is, why is there no shame in American young adults? Nothing is wrong. What is it going to take for them to determine something is shameful? The Bible prophesies there would come a day, there would be a generation that would not blush. They have no reservation. They have no shame. If it feels good, do it. They're just emulating. And can I say, even if your kids have unmonitored access to YouTube kids, and just because it's a cartoon don't mean it's advocating things that we believe, you better start filtering that. My pastor friend said that's where the seven-year-old got the idea, watching YouTube kids' commercials and cartoons, and said as long as two guys love each other and raise little Billy, it's okay. Why are we surprised that our children are acting like animals when they're told they came from animals? Boy, it's quiet in here. Do I sound like somebody who's kind of passionate tonight? I'm very passionate. It's not the right politically or the left politically. It's not the right as far as a conservative church or left a liberal church. It's not right or left. It's right and wrong. It's not a political thing. It is a moral thing. There must be the church that stands for truth that believes these fundamental principles are true and relevant today. God said there are certain things that are right 
and there are certain things that are wrong. Somehow or another, we've begun to believe, though, if I feel differently, let my feelings be my guide. Your feelings will get you in trouble. I'm old here. I'm fixing to date myself. I still remember uh, the founder of CNN, Ted Turner. He, he self-proclaimed that he is the father of cable news. Once asked about the Ten Commandments, he said, the Ten Commandments are too old. They're not relevant. When they were written, there was no computer, no nuclear bomb. It needs to be replaced. Can I ask you a question, though? By who and with what? By whose authority and by what metric or measurement should they be replaced? I believe many do not want absolutes. They want generalities. They don't want commandments. They want suggestions. And they need to be, uh, if I'm okay with it, and it needs to measure up to my feelings. Because they want to do what they want to do. To acknowledge there is a God and to acknowledge that He has a plan would require obedience. Well, I just don't feel like a loving God would do that. Can I stop and insert an example right here? We've had some, through this flooding the last few days, hydroplaning, some telephone poles uh, have been knocked over, and at the top of those poles were high-voltage electrical wires. It stopped traffic on Sam Ridley yesterday. Unfortunately, somebody uh, hydroplaned on 24 and lost their life yesterday from Nashville. Tragic, tragic. In both cases, a high-voltage pole was knocked down. Now, I'm asking anybody besides me enjoy the electricity that cools and heats their home. Anybody here? Who, who enjoys just being able to flip a switch and can see? Who, who enjoys uh, cold food in the refrigerator? I, I could, who, who enjoys uh, the computer actually coming on? Who enjoys your cell phone being charged? I enjoy that. So man, wisdom has developed a system to create or make electricity, transport it, and we utilize it and enjoy it on a daily basis. Now, put a pin in that for just a second. The Bible says that God, Shekinah presence, a holy ark of the covenant was built, overlaid with gold. It had articles inside. It was used as a point of mercy that the sins of the nation would be absolved from year to year. It was covered in gold. It had a mercy seat. Who remembers that? And David tried to move it, and a servant, his heart was in the right place. The ark looked like it was going to fall, and he reached his hand out, the Bible says, to keep it from tipping over. But there was a law, there was a mandate, there was a commandment, thou shalt not touch it. They used these long poles that slid in these rings, and they slid them down the sides, and men stood on the four corners, and they carried it, but they did not touch it. For God said, it is a holy thing, and don't touch it. How serious was God about not touching the ark? Apparently, he was dead serious. 
Because Uzzah took his hand, his heart was in the right place, but he disobeyed, and bam! I, I envision high-voltage electricity. Just took his life. That's what it seems like. Now, you can say, I just don't think a loving God would do that. But he did. Can I make an example? Would we feel bad if somebody climbed a high-voltage pole to get a kite down and got electricity? Would we feel bad? But we say, I'm not going to use electricity anymore. Because that electricity killed that poor guy trying to get his kite down out of the high-powered pole. You'd start thinking logically at some point and say, well, now listen, that kite was worth $2. And he climbed. It wasn't like he stepped on it and didn't know it. He had to get a ladder, and he had to climb up there. And everybody's on the ground saying, don't do it, don't do it. But he did it anyway over that $2 kite. I feel sorry for him. I, didn't, I wish it hadn't happened, but I'm going to char. I'm going to use my microwave tonight. Right? While I'm sitting in my recliner with the air conditioner on, I'm going to say a little prayer for him tonight. Right? Right? But how many people disobey God and the consequences, and we think God is not a God of love. He has already put these laws in motion. The law of electricity has already been established, and if you breach it, don't be surprised if you get shocked. It's not, it's not motivated. It's not intentional. It wasn't like the electricity went from house to house looking for somebody to electrocute, right? It's when he infringed upon the boundaries that was... I feel the Holy Ghost. And we say, there is no God or I'm not going to serve God because the consequences of our disobedience get us zapped. And we blame God. Or we say, I just don't think God would do that. Honey, you may not think it, but you can put your fingers in that light socket over and think it ain't going to shock you. But I'm pretty sure. Can I just say it this way? We give too much power to our feelings. Our feelings. Who in here has ever known intellectually or in your mind that you were wrong? But in your heart, you wasn't ready to admit you were wrong? Who's, who's, ever, who's ever had emotional overwhelmness to where you want to give them a piece of your mind or you want to express yourself more fully? Here you know it's not going to change anything. Here you know that you're, you're, you don't really have the right spirit and attitude. Here you know it. But what happens when you get around them? Even though you had made up your mind you wasn't going to give them a piece of yours. What happened? Your emotion superseded the intellect of your being. Who admits that our emotions can overwhelm our thinking? Thank you, Robert. Thank you, Sister Josephine. Anybody over here? Thank you, Dahlia. Why is that important? It is important. It's because when we are governed by our emotions, that is why the Bible says it is the fool who has said in his heart there is no God. It doesn't say the fool has said in his mind. It's in his heart. For nature itself declares there's a God, Godhead, and your purpose, and you have no excuse. But it's not your head that's the issue. It is your heart supersedes your head. Your emotions, I just don't feel like that would be appropriate. 
I have seen people that know so much better than they're doing. They're living in fornication. They're living in adultery. They, they are doing things they know they shouldn't do, but the heart wants what the heart wants. I believe there is a generation today that is so emotionally charged, it's going to hurt. I don't know why it's hot in here. The air's been on. Well, there's five other people fanning. Are y'all hot? Okay, I just, I mean, I don't want people passing out. They'll they'll think the fire is falling and people falling out everywhere. The relevant point is that we've got a generation. Here it comes. Brother Gill, you got my back. Who's heard the term snowflake? In modern culture, okay, a snowflake is somebody that you cannot discuss logically a position. It's all how they feel. And if you breach their feelings the least little bit, they melt. Who's ever put a snowflake in your hand? How long does that last? It don't last long. And there are people that are so... um, we are in a generation. We, the, we are at war. There are people that have given liberty to their feelings but have not engaged their brain. There is a God. He has mandates for us to live by. And I really hope you love the Lord, but it's secondary. You first obey the Lord, and the more you obey, Obey the Lord, the more you will have faith in the Lord. And the more faith you have in the Lord, the more you will grow to love the Lord. Process. Process. What are you talking about, Pastor? I heard the story this week of an, did y'all notice that Harvard hired their first chaplain? Chaplain. He advises all things spiritual. He is an atheist. Not really sure how you can do that. Do y'all know the irony of that, that Harvard is founded as a religious studies, a seminary for ministers. It's the oldest seminary in the continental United States, and it now has an atheist chaplain. We're at war, people. We're at war. I heard this atheist father explaining to his son, who was about eight, All the reasons why we, son, we are atheists. Son, do you have any questions? And the little boy says, Dad, do you think God knows we don't believe in him? I just wanted to run around the car a few times when I heard. Now, why is that relevant? It is already in us. We know there's a God. The book tells us in the New Testament, the problem was they knew he was God, but they glorified him not as God, for they desired their own passions for worldliness more than they desired to please or glorify him. For when they knew him, They glorified him not. Some of us don't want to have anybody but us on the throne of our heart. Now, what are you talking about today, Pastor? Who thinks we can govern our emotions? 
I hope we can. I believe we can. Would you admit that though our emotions, they, we can talk ourselves into anything or out of anything? Lord, I'm going to go ahead and eat this whole chocolate cake because I don't want it to tempt my wife. See, I'm the bigger person here. Really, if I keep eating that chocolate, I'm going to be the bigger person. It's like the man that told his doctor, he said, doctor, it's not healthy for me to exercise. He said, why not? He says, well, I get on my treadmill, I start walking. When I get walking, I start getting hot. When I get hot, I sweat and I sweat. I smell bacon and it makes me hungry. So I'm not going to exercise. You're laughing because why? There's an element of truth in what I, who admits with our feelings we can talk ourselves into Talk ourselves in anything. We can justify. Every man is right in his or her own eyes. Our feelings will get us in trouble. I want you to catch this. This may be the most important thing I say tonight. Satan would prefer you to believe a wrong thing as to do a wrong thing. Let me say it again. Satan would prefer you believe a wrong thing than to do a wrong thing. What do you mean, Pastor? Yes, he wants you to do wrong. He wants you to misstep. But if he can get you to believe one thing wrong, it'll affect so many decisions in your life from that point forward. If he can get you to believe there is no God, if he can get you to believe that God is not real, if he can get you to believe that God can't forgive, if he can get you to believe that God doesn't forgive or that, that God is not merciful or that your parents didn't love you, if he can corrupt your processor, if you go to compute and it says 2 plus 2 is 7, and if he can get you to believe 2 plus 2 is 7, then he can get you off on everything Else, Satan wants to corrupt your beliefs. I sit in a series of Bible studies over a 10 to 12 week period with a person that was trying to convince me that their homosexual lifestyle was equal and acceptable in the sight of God. I came to a revelation. This person truly believed they were okay. The Bible says we choose what we do, but God chooses our consequences. The Bible goes on to say that God will cause strong delusions to come on you. If you want to believe a lie, guess what he'll do? He will let you believe a lie. You will be convinced. The enemy wants to corrupt your thinking. He wants to cause you to have a wrong thought process that will skew. When you have a wrong thought process, you can't make sense out of two plus two. Four don't look right to you. You ever spelt a word? And you ever say, honey, how do you spell? You spelt it a zillion times, but for some reason this one time you write, that doesn't look right. Oh, it is. I, I thought that was right. Who's ever said, but I'm a believer. I'm a believer. Brother James, I need a big amen coming out of this. You ready? We're all believers. Demons believe and tremble. But are they saved? I believe there's a God. 
You may not believe. You say, there is no God. The unbeliever, excuse me, the, the atheist can ask the Christian, well, prove there's a God. I have a different question. You prove to me there's not a God. Whether you believe in God or don't believe in God, it still takes faith. But I believe we can look at everything in creation. I believe we can look at the prophecies that have been fulfilled and it's unraveled just as God said it would be. And every day that it looks worse, it gives more credibility because God's word said where we're at today is where we were going to be. Y'all remember the days before GPS and somebody wrote you off some directions to their house? Go down to the third sycamore tree. I'm not sure what a sycamore tree is. Look for a blue wading pool, and you're driving and driving, and look for a swing set, and there'll be a water tower, and there'll be a grain silo. Who's ever gone down that road thinking, man, I missed it. I've gone, I'm on the wrong road, and all of a sudden, you'll see the wading pool. Yes, there's the wading pool. I'm going the right way. Never thought I'd be so glad to see a wading pool. Can you relate to that? We don't have the full picture, Brother David, but I know this, that I'm seeing the signs of the end time, that we are at war, but God said it would be this way, and I can catch a glimpse in Scripture and see that it's happening. I'm going the right way. There is a God, and He came the first time, and He's coming a second time, and He said, if I go away, and He went away, I'm going to come again, and guess what? He's going to come again, and these are going to be the signs of my glorious appearing, and they're unfolding on a daily basis but if the enemy can get you to believe a wrong thing you can miss it did you know that you can miss it you can think you got plenty of time you can think you're basically okay you can be like the homosexual guy oh I would never be that guy there are other sins that we deceive ourselves about they're not so bad sin is sin all has to be dealt with I'm skipping a bunch of stuff because I'm looking at the clock. I'm a believer. You're a believer. But being a believer is not really what the aim is. Our goal is to be an obedient follower of Jesus Christ. You ever say obedient? You know the great thing about obedience? I don't have to understand everything. Ever say that's good because I don't, right? Who in here struggles trying to wrap your mind around what's going on? Who's ever seen suffering in the world? How could a loving God do? Who's ever had bad, good people get bad things happen to them and struggle? Am I the only one got my hand up on that? But you know what? I had a revelation that our God who created the universe, who's not basing on how I feel today, is looking in eternity and he's making decisions that would cause the greatest positive effect on the greatest number of people for the longest period of time. I need to be like Paul. I reckon this present suffering is not worthy to be compared to the glory that shall be revealed in us. I can't base it on how I feel today. Remember, our feelings get us in trouble. It's not about a here and now. It's about the hereafter and forever with the Lord. Now, that's my introduction. April's going, oh, Jesus. I saw it on her face, oh, Jesus. My conclusion is pretty quick. So Deuteronomy chapter 5 is all about the Ten Commandments. Everybody got your safety belt on? But chapter 6 
is the vehicle that brings chapter 5 into actuality. You heard me read it. The agenda of God is that it go well with us, that we be blessed and we be prosperous. But he put the responsibility of our children and our grandchildren and our great-grandchildren knowing the commands of God. He didn't say, I'm going to send a skywriter. Have your kids out in the front yard every Saturday morning, and I'm going to put the Ten Commandments in the sky. Where they get, is that what he said? He said, I'm going to send your kids an email every day. I'm going to send them a text message. God texted me. Hallelujah. What are you talking about, Pastor? The Bible says primarily it is the Father's job. He says when you are with your kids, and stop, Absentee fathers, deadbeat dads are an issue. 81% of all felons in prison today saw their dad less than one time a year while growing up. If your dad's getting on your nerves, good. You need somebody to call you, challenge you, chastise you, teach you encourage you, believe in you. Don't be worried about those that are in this room that didn't have a dad. They know it. They know what a difference a dad in the home and in their life means. If you're a mother in here tonight, you're thinking, what does that mean about me? I'm a single mom. Guess what? You're in the right place tonight because the Word of God says that our God will be a father to the fatherless. And it's the church family's job to adopt some children. I get amazed that people want to see their kids turned out right, but they don't invest into spiritual things. At least, it's really more, but at least one-third of your kid is spirit. For we're created of body, soul, and spirit. The only thing that's eternal is the spirit. Why are you putting all your investment in temporal things and not in eternal things? The thing that will make your kid be healthy, wealthy, and demon-free is the Spirit of God and the commandments that it would be well with them. Who's ever heard of a company called Enron? Big energy company out of Texas. They had a morality problem. They had chief financial officer. They had a CEO chief executive officer, they had accountants and treasury department of that company that said, ooh, man, our stock's going up and we're making money in our personal 401ks. And they just kept fudging and fudging. That's another word for lying and falsifying and making financial records say what they didn't say. And they inflated the stock value. And then they secretly sold their stock and retired. And they faked their own debts. They're living on some island in the Caribbean. And the stock crashed and everybody like me and you who had invested in Enron because it sounded like a good idea lost all their money. They went back and did a post-mortem. That means almost like an autopsy on that company and discovered what these individuals had done. Do you know what they determined was the source cause of the collapse of Enron? It wasn't the actions. It was the lack of morality in the individuals. You can have every doctorate in economics. You can graduate from Harvard Business School. You can be a Rockefeller three times over. But it's only those that have the 
word of God imprinted in their heart and their mind that have a moral compass. The reason that company failed was a lack of morality. You can have great potential and great education and you invest in your kids and grandkids on those things, but you don't invest in their spiritual well-being. I have seen parent after parent spend all that college money on rehab. I had a mother crying, said she's glad she was able to do it. She cashed out part of her retirement to buy her daughter dentures because she had cooked her teeth smoking meth. It melted her teeth. She was so addicted to meth. I'm so glad that child is now off of meth. I'm glad that she, her mother got her those teeth. She's now got a job. She's now working. I'm so thankful for that. But her mother had a revelation. I invested in the wrong things. You can have a great opportunity. You can have a great education. You can have great experiences. You can come from a good family. But if you don't have God as a moral compass, it can disappear. One bad decision when the enemy causes you to believe a lie. Hey, did y'all know since 1960, in 1960 there were 5 million children in, in the United States without a father in the home? Do you know that number now is over 50 million kids have no father? We got a problem. Because that's who's supposed to be teaching a generation that God's got commandments for their life. I'm going to skip a bunch of stuff. Let me, let me give you a, a great story. If you think you can bring your kids to church one hour a week and send them to school 50 hours a week or let them hang out with their friends on the street 20 hours a week and that the church is going to win out, you deceive yourself. There was a man that lived in Germany who was a very successful merchant. He had a, a mercantile, had a, a store where he sold goods, very successful. Jewish man, Orthodox Jew, practiced Judaism in Germany. And as you know, the winds of war were on the horizon in Germany in the 1920s, 1930s. They had been underground, surface, under the surface for many years before that. And this merchant realized the tension in his country towards Jews. And long before Hitler, he decided to move his family to England where it would be safer for them. And once they moved to England, within just a few weeks, the little eight-year-old boy noticed his dad and mom joined the Lutheran church. And the boy says, Dad, we're Jewish. We're Orthodox Jewish. Why are we joining the Lutheran church? And the dad said, well, a lot of people here are Lutheran, and it would be good for business, so we're just going to become Lutheran. Now, you can say I'm stretching it, but I think it will bear out. That young man grew up because he saw the hypocrisy about religion in his home. There's what we said we believed, and there's what we believed, and those two roads did not intersect. And that young man grew up with a disdain for religion. His name is Karl Marx, the father of Marxism, who believes there is no God because 
we don't believe this because this might be better for us. At some point, mom, dad, you better find out what you believe. And you better not just show up at church and believe it. You better live it on Monday. You, I know this is hard, but we're going to lose a generation if we as foundational families, if we don't have core values, if we act and dress and use a vocabulary on Sunday and don't use that same code of conduct the rest of the week, it's hypocrisy and your kids are going to have contempt for you and for your God. Our walk and our talk have got to line up. Let me talk specifically about foundational families. Do you know where Sunday school came from? Did you know that is basically a relatively new, I'll use a, a different word, newish. It's a newish thing. Do you know that in the 1800s and even the early part of the 1900s, the United States was still a very agrarian. Everybody still lived on the farm. Everybody was farmers. Very few people lived in towns. Have you noticed in the last 50, 60 years how many people have left the family farm and got education or got a job in a factory? Literally, modern Sunday school was born out of the mass population to large cities, and kids were abandoned oftentimes in large cities and ran the streets. Scallywag men of low moral character fostered or sired children that had no home, and they were growing up on the streets. And so pastors and preachers started opening up the churches before service to teach these kids who had no parents moral values and the Ten Commandments and some fundamentals to lead. Oftentimes, that's the, that is the birth of the modern uh, Sunday school was to reach these children that had poor or no home life or value. Now, I'm almost out of time. I want to ask a couple questions here. What if you went to a restaurant and about every third time you decided to go there, they were just at random closed? Would that affect you going there in the future? Okay, let me ask another question. If every other time you went to your regular doctor, he decided to close that day without rhyme or reason, might you consider finding another doctor? If you went to the ER, sometimes they're taking patients and sometimes they're not. If you're in a bad car wreck and they ask you, which hospital do you want to go to? I'm saying, which one's open? How would that make you feel? I want to make this point. Ten Commandments, God entrusted it into the family to impart to the next generation and the next generation. The Bible says, put it, put it on your forehead, put it on your hand, put it on the doors you go in, put it on your gate as you go out. God is serious about getting these commandments in our lives. Serious. But we understand that there's a partnership between the church and the home. Strong churches are made from foundational families. Strong churches don't make strong families. Strong families make strong churches. Get that? I want you to get this. 
We need in this church people who have decided that I'm going to be a foundational family. I am going to show up every service possible. I wish I had one amen on that. I'm like the ER. There are hurting people that are going to come in here, and if we're only here half the time, or we're only spiritual half the time, or we only greet them half the time, or we only worship half the time, what's going to happen to those people that have a bad experience with the local church? The church must be open and ready for business. Anybody remember when you decided to come to God? And the church was open, and it was clean, and the lights was on, and somebody prayed with you in the altar, and somebody held your hand, and somebody encouraged you, and somebody followed up on you. Don't you want that for somebody else? Don't we all feel a responsibility to pay forward what somebody else did for us? For your sake, I'm skipping a bunch of stuff tonight. I'm closing my Bible, and that means something. It means something. We were in my hometown, mine and Julie's hometown Sunday, Happened to be a man that was in ministry that went to my home church, passed away. It it was a benefit that I got to go by the funeral home and go through the line and at least let his family know that, uh, that we're grieving with them, we're praying for them, that we recognize the passing. And so many people that I grew up going to church with, and there's this one family, you don't need to know who they are per se, but there was a family when Jill and I first got married that kinda said, bless their hearts. They don't have a clue. They don't have two nickels to rub together. Hey, they could fall in church or they could fall out of church, and they kind of adopted us, and they encouraged us, and they took us to dinner with them a lot on Sunday afternoons, and they would speak encouraging words, and you can make it, and you can do it, and that's a great job, and, and you're awesome, and they spoke life into me. I can tell you, these are the same people that cleaned out their Pinto station wagon when I was still a 12-year-old hyperactive kid, and they paid for me to get to go to youth camp, and they were my counselors. Think about that, signing up for that torturous duty of being my counselor. But I'm here today, not because of me, but because somebody was a foundational family it's not we might be at church tomorrow. We're going to be at church tomorrow. It's not that we might worship. We're going to worship. It's not that we might believe what the Bible says. If the pastor says it and it's in the book, we're going to do it. we got to have a made-up mind. Today it might be my neighbor. Tomorrow it might be your neighbor. It might be my kid. It might be your kid. Don't we want to have a foundation? The Bible says if the foundation... The enemy is lobbing every missile he can at the family. Trying to say there doesn't have to be a dad. You don't have to be married. You can live like you want to and act like you. That is a lie. God's got a beautiful plan and expect it in to bless you and prosper you. If you, if you follow these commandments. He's not making commandments to make life hard. He's already gone before us and says, if you don't do this, you're not going to make it. I've been down that road. You ain't going to make it. Who wants to be a part of a foundational family? Jesus, tonight, we ask you to let your spirit seal this word. God, it's not about me. It's not about this local church. It's about the lost. It's about our families. It's about the next generation. God, let us be faithful. Let us be determined. God, we don't get rewards for how many different churches we've been a part of. Let us make up our mind that this is the church, and this is the time, and this is your word, and this is your will, and I am sold out and committed. 
Lord, I want to be your man, your woman for this hour. God, let us care one of those birds. Let us care one for another. God, let us adopt children and families in our church and help them make it. God, let us use our influence, we pray in Jesus' name. And everybody say amen. Amen. You're dismissed tonight. Go with God.